Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you would, um, please bow with me in prayer as we ask the Lord to open our hearts. Father, we do come before you, and we thank you for an opportunity to hear from your word. Uh, We thank you for an opportunity to be impacted by the things that you would have us know. And ultimately, as we look today at forgiveness, that um, you would open our hearts to what it is that we, that we know that we need to bring to you for forgiveness. I pray that you would have your spirit come upon us and that he would be the one that would open our hearts, um, that he would allow this to be a time that we focus on you and that through that we grow closer. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a friend of mine uh, recently told me a story uh, about a man in Spain. This is about a father and his son, whose name was Paco. Now, no one knows why, but for some reason, Paco ran away. Perhaps he ran away because he angered his father and his father kicked him out. Maybe he ran away because he just didn't get along with his dad. But either way, Paco was off on his own. Paco was alone on the streets of Madrid, and and his hope was to become a bullfighter. And I don't know if you understand bullfighting, but it's actually pretty dangerous. And unless you're well-trained, it could very easily lead to your death. And Paco's father understood this problem, and so his desire was to desperately seek out his son. Well, the thing about Madrid is Madrid's a large city, and it's really hard to find someone who doesn't want to be found. And so Paco's dad, in in his final act of desperation put an ad in a newspaper, and it said this. It says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Now, you see, this father knew something that that I think we all tend to forget, and that's our need for forgiveness. Think about your relationship with God. What is it that dominates your prayer life? Is it a a list of things that you need God's intervention in? Maybe it's a sense of, God, please, get me that job over at Lockheed. 
Maybe your prayer is, Lord, I just desire to be married. Please bring me a spouse. Or maybe it's, Lord, please heal my illness because I don't think I can take it anymore. Or do we rather bow our knees to the Father and pour out our our sins to him regularly and seek his forgiveness? Now, the truth is, is this isn't an either-or scenario. I think we are to do both. But I wonder if sometimes we miss out on the greatest gift that God has to offer, forgiveness to us, as we seek out the immediate need, the timely need, and gifts of work and health and family. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to see that this paralytic and his four friends are doing in some ways the very same thing that we do. They're seeking after Jesus to meet an immediate need rather than their ultimate need, which is forgiveness. And what we're going to see is in this passage is a very simple truth, but a very profound truth, and that's because our hearts are really long for forgiveness, we need to come to Jesus, because he's the only one who can give it. Because our hearts really and truly long for forgiveness, we need to come to Jesus, because he's the only one who can give it. Now, in order to see this, we're going to look at two major people or two major groups in this passage. The first is the paralytic and his four friends. And the second are the scribes. We're going to observe how each of them respond to Jesus' offer of forgiveness and see what he gives. Now, before we turn to our passage, we need to understand just a little bit of context. See, this is chapter 2 in Mark, and in chapter 1, it's all about healing. Jesus has three major healing episodes in the first chapter of Mark. The last one, Jesus heals a leper. And this is a tremendous healing. The leper comes away and, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone about anything. But the leper, seeing this is, a, this is a huge change, like I was sick and now I'm well, decides, you know what, I'm going to tell people anyway. And because of that, people just come swarming to Jesus. There is nothing that he can do. Who wouldn't want to come hear this wonderful healer, this wonderful prophet, this man who gives lepers their non-decay, that gives people who have lost their, lost their sight their sight? And so they come after him. So Jesus wants to get away, and so he goes out into the desolate places, and when he does, they find him there. So Jesus decides to return back to Capernaum. So the first thing that we need to know about our context is that Jesus is carrying on a major ministry of healing. That's one of the primary things that he's doing. He's preaching as well, but he's also healing. The second thing that goes on is that our passage is at the beginning of about a two-chapter part of Jesus having regular confrontations with the scribes. From chapter 2-1, where we're at, through Mark, 2, chapter 6, or Mark chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to see five major confrontations that take place between Jesus and the scribes. And these five confrontations are ultimately what lead to his crucifixion. So the other part of our context is conflict. And I think we're going to see them both today. And so with these things in mind, let's turn to our text. And what we're going to see as we look through the eyes of the paralytic and his four friends is that we find out that forgiveness is what our heart truly longs for. 
Verse 1 gives us the setting for our passage. It takes place in the city of Capernaum, and Jesus has spent some time away from the city. This probably had to do with the last time he was there, he created quite a ruckus. You see, there was a man who had an unclean spirit, and he cast the unclean spirit out. And the people's response to that was, this man speaks with authority that the scribes don't have. And so the people were amazed. They were looking to Jesus saying, this man has authority. The spirits listen to what he has to say. We probably should too. And so they did. Well, suffice it to say, when Jesus returns to Capernaum, it doesn't take long for people to find out that he's there. And again, the crowds form. This time they meet him at the house that he's at. And we've got no idea how many people are at this house. But we know one thing. It was packed. If it was a one-room home, it was standing room only. People were probably squashed into every corner that they could be in. It says that the door was full, that people were piling out the door, probably out overflowing into the streets, and everyone was just clamoring to hear what this wonderful healer and prophet would say next. And it's at this point that the paralytic and his four friends enter into our story. I can imagine them walking up, carrying this stretcher, and seeing the crowds and saying, how in the world are we going to get in? But the problem is is that we need to see Jesus. We need to, because he's the only one who can save our friend. And so in desperation, these four men cart this man up on top of the roof. I'm sure it had to be at least seven to eight feet tall. Four men getting on a ladder, carrying up a man in a stretcher. And they get up there, and what do they do? They look down at the roof, and they start to tear away the mud that's kind of on the top of it that keeps the rain off. And under that, there's a bunch of thatch. So they start breaking through the thatch and just breaking through. And under that thatch are the crossbeams. So they go and they just start pulling out these crossbeams. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus sitting in front of a group of people while all this is going on above him? I mean, you're snapping and breaking and pulling. And then you see hands as they kind of start moving in. And then you see faces as they're kind of looking down, getting ready to drop this guy in. And, And then all of a sudden, a man on a stretcher gets lowered down in front of Jesus. Now, if this room was packed, I'm sure people kind of had to look up and even maybe step back a little bit to let this guy land. And, and I wonder if Jesus was like, just keep going, keeps going, kind of just waiting. Or if he's just like, you know what, let's, let's just wait a sec. Kind of watches the guy come down and, and, and then begins to address what's going on. But we know one thing, that even though no words are spoken, the four men in the paralytic don't say a thing. That their request is very clear. It's as clear as the light shining through in the hole in the roof that they just made. And it cries out, Jesus, please heal our friend. Verse 5 tells us that Jesus saw their faith. And one commentator that I looked at while I was preparing for this says that faith throughout the Gospel of Mark is the expectation that God, or in this case, or more often Jesus, can and will exercise supernatural power to solve a practical problem usually one involving illness or physical danger. So in other words, faith here means that 
the four friends, I don't think, were actually asking Jesus to heal their friend. I think they were kind of expecting Jesus to heal their friend. They know he could do it, and they know he's done it. And when they, they drop the man in faith, they do so because they know that he'll respond. Jesus seemingly looks up at the friends and sees what they're doing. He looks down at the man and sees his problem. And he knows that they can, they know that he can heal. But what does he do? He looks at the man and he says the most miraculous thing. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine what's going on in the mind and in the heart of this paralytic? I mean, he's lying there on a stretcher and his request was, let me get up. And Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven. The guy's sitting there like, what, what good does that do me? That doesn't change my situation. And, and even if my sins are forgiven, I'm still stuck on this stretcher. Th- did Jesus miss the whole point? Now, of course, we, we know that he didn't. But at the same time, sitting there, I wonder if that man was thinking that he did. So let's just take a second and think about sickness and understand what sickness really is and what debility really is. Ultimately, it's a sign of sin that when we sinned, death entered the world, decay entered the world, brokenness entered the world. And so when Jesus is speaking to the man, he's speaking to that. See, what Jesus knows and what these men seem to miss is that his real problem isn't his paralysis. It is a problem, but it's not his real problem. His real problem is his sinful state. So when Jesus sees the faith of these men who believe that he alone can heal this paralytic, they experience forgiveness. That the paralytic comes to Jesus hoping to get healed, but rather gets his greatest problem, his debt to God, taken care of. He's freed from the clutches of sin. He's freed from the clutches of death. And he begins to experience the benefits of God. But before we ask if it's really loving for Jesus to tell someone your sins are forgiven and forget their physical state, we just need to turn to verse 11. Because what does Jesus do? After his altercation with the scribes, he turns to the man and he says, get up, take your pallet, and go home. See, not only did Jesus offer the man forgiveness, the thing that takes care of his sin, he grants healing which takes care of the consequence of sin. So I guess now we should turn a moment and look at ourselves, look at our own lives in the midst of this. How often are we like the paralytic? Sure, most of us in this room aren't paralyzed. But there are many, many ways that we cry out to God. We could list many. But as I was thinking, maybe you're you're one of those people that has just cried out for years and years that you'd be able to conceive that your desire would be that the Lord would open your womb. I can't stand here and say that a prayer like that is bad or wrong. I think that that's exactly what the Lord would want us to do. Because it's those prayers that draw us to Jesus. Because just like the paralytic is coming saying, heal me, what he gets is an encounter with Jesus. He gets forgiveness. And so too for us, When we bring those cares and those desires to Jesus, we experience the ability to experience him and his forgiveness, as well as the possibility that he might heal us. 
But you see, the paralytic and his friends only knew part of the story. You see, they saw Jesus as a healer. But we see Jesus as something more. Jesus, for us, is the one who dies on the cross for our sins. And so when we come to Jesus in faith saying, heal us, we could be missing something because really what we want Jesus to do in our heart is forgive us and know that he can take care of the other things as well. So the other group in this text are the scribes. The scribes are the religious elite of their day. They're the ones who go around and they're known for their understanding of the word, the law, and they're known for their work in making sure that others follow the law as well. And so as we look at the story through the eyes of the scribes, we learn that sometimes we're often skeptical of the forgiver. You see, the scribes have already had an encounter with Jesus. I alluded to it earlier when Jesus compared his authority to theirs and his authority was greater. And yet when Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven, the the scribes are incensed. They're angry. In their heart, they're like, Jesus, you are a blasphemer. But, you know, before we get on the case of the, the scribes, we have to understand that these guys are pretty good theologians. And their question is actually a pretty good one. The question is, who can forgive sins but God alone? And so the Pharisees take just a moment, probably in their minds, and and just do a little logical syllogism. And the first premise is, no one can forgive sins but God. Their second premise is, Jesus just forgave sins. So the conclusion is that Jesus must be God. Makes perfect sense. The problem is that the Pharisees have this other premise kind of written in there on their own that says that, A human being can never be God. So Jesus can't be God. And if you say you're God and you can't be God, then you're a blasphemer. And there is no way a man who knows his law could ever be okay with that. And so they're really angry. The other problem that they have is the problem of verification. Because let's just just assume for a second that they could accept that Jesus is God. Well, just because he says your sins are forgiven, how do we know? There's no proof. Nothing changes. And if the proof is in the pudding, there's just no pudding, except what Jesus has to say. Suppose I could go around saying to all of you, your sins are forgiven, and you could go around saying, well, Tim said my sins are forgiven, so everything is good. (coughs) But the authority that I would have is weak. But the authority that Jesus has is enough to forgive sins. So the other problem that they have is that they can't believe that Jesus is God. And because Jesus is not God, he can't forgive this man's sins. Well, Jesus knows their hearts, the text tells us, and the questions that are going on in them. And he addresses them directly. He asks them, is it it easier for me to tell this man his sins are forgiven... Or is it easier for me to tell this man to get up and walk and go home? I think for Jesus, these questions are one and the same. Because in in some ways, you can't do one without the other. And ultimately, he's saying, if I have the power to forgive the consequences of sin, that is the paralysis, 
I also have the power to forgive the root of the paralysis. I can forgive the sin. Now, the scribes would probably argue that it's easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, because you can't verify it. I could go around telling all of you that, and it wouldn't make a difference. And that healing would be a much tougher thing. There's no way in the world I could do that. No way in the world you could do that. Now, Jesus knows that the ability to forgive a man's sins is far greater and far more difficult than the ability to forgive. Because Jesus knows what it takes to forgive that man's sins. It's not just him saying that your sins are forgiven. It's that he's going to have to walk to the cross. He's going to have to shed his own blood and die on the cross so that this man's sins can be forgiven. And so when they ask the question, which is easier? The answer is most definitely the forgiveness. Because it means that Jesus has to die. But they don't know that. But Jesus is a kind person in some ways. And he chooses to answer their question anyway. He essentially tells them, and this is my interpretation, I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And not only that, I've got the authority to heal the man. And so he does. He turns to the man and he says, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And the man does it. I would like to say that the scribes were speechless. But the scribes have been speechless the whole time. They've not said a word. We have no idea how they handled this. But we know how everyone else did. Everyone else saw this and they were amazed. And they gave praise to God. They said, we never saw anything like this. That speaks to the power that Jesus has over sin. That Jesus has over all the brokenness that comes with sin. And the people had a first-hand experience of it. And they praise God. And they worship God. Now as I look through this, I wonder how we too might be like the scribes at times. Now I imagine there are two very different people standing in this room or sitting in this room. One person is the one who just doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe you've read a bunch of science textbooks and a bunch of history textbooks and a bunch of philosophy textbooks and you've decided that there is no way that Jesus could ever be God. It just can't happen. Maybe you believe that, that Mark is just that, a story, a fiction, and that rather than a vivid retelling of, of a real historical event when Jesus heals a man. Maybe Nietzsche was right, and God is dead. But if that's the case, what do you do with that longing inside your heart for forgiveness that even in your most honest moments you know is there. You see, even the scribes who ultimately take part in killing Jesus, they know that they need forgiveness. It wasn't the fact that sins were forgiven in general that bothered them. Sin wasn't an issue for them. The issue was that Jesus said, I forgive your sins. And that's what angered them. I'm sure that if we're looking at our hearts, in your heart there's things that you've done that you wish you could undo. Maybe it was a time that you lashed out at your son and, and while it didn't seem like a real big deal at the time, it really kind of feels like your relationship hasn't been the same since. Or maybe it was that time that you had a one-night affair with that man and your heart's just broken because you don't know what to do about it. 
Even if we go and we speak to those people and they say that I'm willing to let that go, the forgiveness that we need is the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. The other person that might be sitting in this room are the ones who have already come to Jesus seeking forgiveness. And some the ones who have said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your, your grace. I need your salvation. I need you to heal me and forgive me. And my guess is that's most of us here. But in many ways, I think that we're probably more like the scribes than the people who don't know Jesus at all. Because the scribes are part of the church. In fact, the scribes were more like elders in the church. They were people who knew the word of God well, who taught the word of God. And yet they couldn't accept Jesus. How often is it that we look at our only our, our continued need for forgiveness because we know that we all sin? And we say, you know, Jesus took care of that at the cross. I, I, I think I'm okay. And just kind of move on. Rather than going to Jesus again and saying, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. He may be willing to do it either way, but there's something about getting to come to him and experiencing it that's entirely different. Because if this passage teaches us anything, it's that Jesus is willing to forgive. Because ultimately he forgives a man who doesn't even ask for forgiveness. Just a man who comes to him in faith. But if you're anything like me, perhaps you kind of wonder, is, is all of this true? I mean, is God really that gracious to forgive everything that we've ever done? Maybe you have a fear that my sins are too much, too many, and too bad for Jesus to continue to forgive them. Maybe it's that, that you've watched pornography for the thousandth time and you're you're sick of going to God because you think God's sick of coming to you as you seek his forgiveness. But there's something about the fact of coming in faith that God will always grant that. Because it's our faith in the fact that he can forgive us that's important. Jesus tells us he's willing to forgive every time that we come in faith. Now, maybe a reason for asking for forgiveness isn't because you think that you're too bad. But maybe... It's because you think, I'm, I'm actually kind of all right. I'm, I'm actually a pretty stellar example of, of Christian living. <coughs> Excuse me, the scribes were much the same. Uh, they would have gone around saying, yeah, we, we're, we're actually pretty good. We, we do everything the law says and, and everyone knows it. Jesus wanted for them, I think, to see his miracle and rather than question whether he can do it, to turn to him. Because he knows that they need forgiveness too. You see, there's an old Latin phrase out there that goes something like lex orandi, lex credendi. And it means something like this. You pray what you believe. So if our prayers don't include regularly asking for forgiveness, I think if we're honest, we have to ask why. Why not? Maybe it's because you feel like, I am just too bad. The truth is you're not. Maybe it's because you feel like you're too good. The truth is you're not. Maybe it's because you feel like it just doesn't matter. But the truth is it does. 
And while most of us probably don't fall entirely into any one of those camps, I'm sure that nearly all of us lean into one of them most of the time. But when we do, we're living more like the scribes, and we need to return to Jesus. So as we think back to the story of Paco, there is an end to this story, and I want to go back to it. When Tuesday at noon arrived, Paco's father gets dressed, he gets his shoes on, and he begins to go to the Hotel Montana in the hopes of seeing his son. So the one thing that Paco's father didn't really think about is the fact that there are a lot of Pacos in Madrid. It's a very common name. When he arrives, there are 800 Pacos standing in the square in the hopes of experiencing their father's forgiveness. 800 young men saying, Father, please, that's all I want is your forgiveness. What I love about this story is I think that it speaks to what's true in all of our hearts. All of us want a father who will forgive us. All of us seek after a father who's going to chase after us in any way, shape, or form, who'll put a letter in a paper and say, please, come meet me. The truth is that God has done that. He's forgiven us through Jesus. He's asked us to come to him through his word. And so it's our way to meet him and come to him. And whereas Paco's father could only give forgiveness to Paco, our father can give forgiveness to all of us. And it's my desire that as you look at your hearts and see what's going on inside, that just like the men who climb the roof, that tear a hole in a roof to drop a man down, that you would do whatever it takes to move to Christ, to seek forgiveness. And it's my desire for all of us that as we see each other do that, that we would turn and be amazed at the forgiveness that God gives and grant him the glory as the one who forgives. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are a forgiving Father, that you have sent us Jesus, who not only forgives our sin, but also forgives our hurts and heals our hurts and cleanses us. It's my prayer that as we go out, that you would allow us to experience that in a new way and that it would draw us to you and that we would praise you and glorify you as the forgiver. And that when we are skeptical, that we would repent and turn to you. And when we sometimes have our priorities a little mixed up, that you would bring it to our minds to know that you are the one who meets all our needs. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.